The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, I'm talking to Ruthie Foster, the great blues musician and singer about biscuits with jelly, Mustang grapes, and the eternal question of whether to see Ella Fitzgerald or pay your power bill. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my good friend, Sandra Bernstein, who had a birthday the other day. Happy birthday, Sandra. Now I'm like <laughs> 60 plus, probably one month when this airs. Thank you. I feel so old. Was it really 60? Yes. Can you believe it? What did you think I was? I don't know. I remember your 50th birthday because I think you had a bunch of friends that flew in from all over the place and you had a, a big party, but it doesn't seem like that was 10 years ago. No, and we still had a state then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did that. But anyway, well, I'm excited. Someone that um, documents time for us in um, a wonderful way. My old friend, Joel Riedel, who is not 60. Um, (laughs) old and 60 doesn't always go together like that but Joel it's so nice to see you even if it is virtually thank you so much Sandra and thank you Brian for having me today I'm really thrilled to be on the podcast no it's awesome did you win the garlic the other day oh yeah (laughs) I didn't so what Sandra's referring to is that the Gilroy Garlic Festival and Christopher Ranch we're doing this contest for National International Garlic Day. And I think it started with Rancho Gordo, who was like, yes. hello, you can't yeah. find any garlic. And then Sandra said she couldn't find any garlic. So I pinned them and I harassed them mercilessly because I like free crap. Um, but I haven't <laughs> heard that I won. I mean, let's face it, you're sitting around at home and you're like, huh, I can be creative. I can do something. <laughs> you did. But <laughs> you like I haven't heard that. yet, but at the same time, I. Christopher Ranch has been very good to the community. They have supported Gilroy and that area, uh, the farmers, um, the local sports teams. They've supported the home ec class and the Ms. Gilroy. Like, they're amazing. Here. Are you from Gilroy? No, but I broadcast from the Gilroy Garlic Festival probably 15, 16 times throughout the year oh. with the late Mr. Burns and then afterward. and. I was able to interview uh, the, sorry, the Christopher family who owns mm-hmm. Christopher Ranch um, mm-hmm. over the years. And I've always been really impressed um, by what they've done for the community. Yeah. And is this that time of year? Is it, would this have been the Gilroy Garlic Festival? Would it have been uh, the last weekend? Uh, no, no, no. It would have been a couple of weeks from now. So uh, a couple okay. months from now. It's at the end of the season. Uh, okay, so okay. in uh, like the September, late August, September, actually, I think it's September 22nd mm-hmm. normally, but they've canceled it for this year. And of course, there was that terrible, terrible tragedy last year that happened. Yes, uh, that was horrible. Well, and for such a community organization where everybody who works at the Gilroy Garlic Festival um, works it sort of for free, and then they take the hours and whatever the Gilroy Garlic Festival makes, they divide it up under the service organizations for how many hours they worked. So they get these donations, they make quite a bit of money, and then they get these donations and partner them out to all of the different organizations, whether they're arts organizations or kids organizations. So they get, um, they get really good funding. So this will be sad for them this year not to be able to have it, as it is for a lot of people not being able to do their events. Yeah, it's just, it's like that everywhere. It's just, and every day something, another bunch of stuff keep canceling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's important to be, as we all know, helpful, as helpful as possible, and as supportive of the community as possible by just being positive influences on each other's lives and trying to maintain whatever it is to keep us well and and looking for the future because there's lots of great wine to drink and great food to eat and fun times to be had in the future. So tell us what you do now. I mean, your role, because you're still on air, correct? 
Well, I do a lot of different things. I do some podcasting. Um, I do some event hosting, although that obviously has pulled back from now. Um, I do some stuff with ABC7 in San Francisco. And uh, currently, um, I've been working on a project to celebrate Golden Gate Park's 150th birthday. And that's been a lot of fun. It was going to be it's a year-long celebration, but there's a large event called Community Day that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and the decision was made to postpone that. We also have concerts and other things that are attached to the year, um, but we've decided to put together online a concert series. Um, so ACDC, the San Francisco Opera, Comedy Day, all sorts of other fun stuff on GoldenGatePark150.com. So it's a virtual celebration. And there's still support for the park and the park system overall, um, but my role is not as their representative. Mm-hmm. Wait, does that mean that they're going to be playing virtually and you're going to be broadcasting the show or they're so what it means is we'll have um they'll have original content in many cases never before seen online so the acdc concert that was up hadn't been put online yet it was they did a a live intro well live intro it's the wrong thing a live recorded intro just Mm -hmm. saying happy birthday etc to golden gate park and then their concert and with the summer solstice concert um, it is the 2019 concert that's being remastered, but it was never seen outside of Golden Gate Park. And so okay. a lot of people, I mean, there were 7,500, uh, 8,000 people there last year for the actual concert. Well, this year, th- it won't happen on summer solstice, um, or that is the expectation. Uh, but that concert from last year will be able to be seen. And it's fantastic. It celebrates the music of 1969, uh, the year of John Charles Wasset's birth. And it celebrates all the summer of love and it celebrates all sorts of great, exciting uh, music. And anyway, it's, it's a marvelous time. And if we're all sort of stuck at home looking for something interesting to do, it's a great place for it. And also um, that website, Golden Gate Park 150, has a book list and a, and a movie list and things that celebrate parks and history that pertains to that particular park in San Francisco. It's a good time. Well, how weird is that? I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that no one's allowed in Golden Gate Park right now, right? People are allowed in, um, and again, I'm not their spokesperson, but I know from living close by the park, uh, there is some activity, but it's all very uh, socially spaced. Uh, It's very thoughtful, so there will be people that take their dogs for a walk or go for a run or, you know, a family of four just making sure they're outside. But in general, in the city, people have been very careful to be respectful of one another's space. Um, And we've heard all of the stories about New York and other cities. And I think that uh, I'm I'm grateful to the other citizens of this city that, that are thinking about others, because you really have to think about others when you're doing this. Because um, if you get sick, you could really um, harm other people. Anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, we're all kind of in this together, so let's try to be participatory in a positive way. Yeah, yeah I was just curious how they did that. Around here, the parks are closed. Like the, the one that I go hiking at, um, Taylor Mountain up the road is closed. But even the, the little parks, like the school down the street, They've put up yellow tape around the entire block. So I didn't know if they were if they were trying to do something like that with Golden Gate Park or even in, in um, Sonoma, Sandra, is the square? Can people sort of well, walk through the on, square? On Tuesday, there are some things are changing and for Sonoma County. And they are loosening a few things up. Um, I think if you can walk or ride a bike to a park. You can go in it, socially distanced and all of that. And then if um, things like the bike shops open, um, construction to a certain degree is going to open, gardeners can come, not just, you know, they can do projects. So I think that's supposed to go in as of Wednesday, and it's possible that our new health mandate is going to be through June 1st. So definitely starting to think about how things are rolling out. Golf courses in Sonoma County will get open, but not to play golf, just to walk on the courses if the owner allows it. 
Um, so it's so, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think our county is trying to be really conscientious and thoughtful. And there is a bit of that mentality of, are you going to be rewarded if you're the first town that opens or the last town that opens? And it's very different between if you're a politician and if you're a business and if you're a consumer or a senior, I think, you know, there's a lot of different opinions on what is the right thing. And I don't think there's any right answer. This but is I, so different. I, I agree with you, Sandra. And I think that there's also a cultural aspect that goes on in different parts of our nation. Different people have a different sort of feeling about how, um, how they want to be perceived or their... I'm sorry, there's a telephone going on in the background. Um, how I just got distracted. Uh, how they're being perceived or how they're being seen or, or their, their sort of rights. And I bring that up uh, partially because um, in Canada, and I'm Canadian by birth, uh, my sister said that there is a national health minister who has gone on after the prime minister every day. And she doesn't give advice. She kind of tells people what to do. And there were these... Um, situations where people weren't socially distancing and so she had records from cell phone companies not of individuals but of like groups of people and she literally said I see you Roncesville I see you Saskatoon you are not practicing social distancing wow. you will practice social distancing and I and, and individuals me my parents etc they've all taken this to heart they're like hey we're in this together but there is really a sense of community there that I think exists in towns like Sonoma and areas like San Francisco, but other people may have a different vantage point or even a different sense of economy. If they don't have money coming in and they feel this hopelessness, right, right. they're going to work hard to be able to be, be paid and work to be paid. So even though I disagree vehemently with some of the things going on, I also have to step back and say, hold it. It's not my... It is my life, but it's, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, perhaps, right. if that makes sense. Right. People are learning hard lessons right now. Oh, yeah. 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 They absolutely are. But I love how some communities have come together. Um, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, there are a lot of restaurants who have pivoted to takeout, which isn't nearly enough money to keep the restaurants in business, no. my understanding. But there are also groups of people that are cooking for first responders and cooking for hospitals. And we have friends who have started a pizza drive for the local Kaiser mm -hmm. hospital. And then they'll, they're going to other restaurants saying, hold it, like let's pop up on Facebook. And if you can afford to buy a pizza, then maybe 50 people can buy a pizza and then they get 50 pizzas. And then, you know, the next week it's, it's food from Sichuan or it's food from Persia or it's whatever it is, the restaurants, they're just trying to- And where's that food them. going? It's going to uh, Kaiser Permanente, the hospital. It's going to the command center. It's going to uh, the Zuckerberg Chan Memorial Hospital. So they've chosen, this particular group has chosen the Kaiser uh, Emergency and Hospital in San Francisco because that's what they're a part of. Right. Uh, but there are other organizations that are doing this sort of let's, and they call the emergency room first. They make sure that it's not, you know, that it is welcome. But some hospital cafeterias, they shut down at 2 p.m. or 6 p.m. And what happens at 11 o'clock at night when you're exhausted? Yeah. Um, what is this the disaster work that you're doing right now? Is it um, I'm doing other things. What I'm currently looking for are facial coverings and masks and things like mm -hmm. that um, that will help not only the first responders, because a lot of people are, are doing that, but um, working toward collecting and having these available for distribution. Because as uh, things change here, there will be people on the streets that the police perhaps, and I don't know this for sure, might say, oh, look, the order has changed and you could be fined for, or you, know, you need to wear face protection. Mm -hmm. So instead of uh, just saying it and giving them the option of actually receiving it. So, oh, thank you very much. I have this from a lovely sponsor and, um, or sponsors, maybe the wrong word, but donor. Right. Um, so organizations uh, have like Timbuktu, for example, which is a bag company and sports teams, et cetera, are creating these, um, these masks and these facial coverings to give to people who are in need. Mm -hmm. So I want to pivot just a little. Pivot is such a COVID word. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've like heard the word pivot like nine million times since March 1st. And isn't that a word that sort of came up on Friends like a hundred years ago? Ross playing pivot where they're trying to move this dumb sofa up the stairs. I don't know. Who needs a Friends reference right now? Well, how did you how did you get started um, on dining around with Jean way back when? So I was on my way to New Zealand. I have a degree what? in education. Yeah. Um, so the province of Ontario, which is the province I lived in, I graduated from university and then I went to teachers college and graduated from teachers college. And at the time, there weren't really any jobs because there was a, a union issue going on. And also, I hadn't seen any place in the world. My favorite teachers were like Kathy Brush, who would say, oh, when you stand in Ravenna and you drink in these beautiful uh, frescoes or these beautiful mosaics, like the firsthand experience. And I'd been to some places. I'd been to Cuba as a child and the United States and Florida, which I know is the same country. I'm not a moron, but <laughs> what I mean to say is I've been to other places. Um, but then, I had this opportunity to go and teach in New Zealand. And I came to San Francisco um, and stayed at Mr. Burns's house for a few weeks and called my mother and said that I really liked it here. And I also met somebody. Oh, and that week? Well, no, I was here for a couple of months. Oh, so, but at, um, at that point, uh, my mother said, well, you know, Canada is like New Zealand in the 19, sorry, New Zealand is like Canada in the 1950s. And she's like, do you really want to live in Canada in the 1950s? <laughs> and, you know, 15 years or so ago, it was a little more rustic than it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I stayed and I started working. I, I built the first KGO ABC website because they needed a website built. And I said, I can do that. And I produced uh, for the late Mr. Burns and was able to visit not only so much of the San Francisco Bay Area, Sonoma, Sonoma County, Sonoma Valley, Napa, uh, Carneros, and, and then all down the coast as well, and do these amazing things, but meet fantastic winemakers and winery personalities and chefs and sit at a table with Steve Wynn or Thomas Keller or uh, Manuel Azevedo or like this sort of the list goes on and when you meet these people, when you're younger and they grow up in their own industry, all of a sudden you realize that you can, you can email somebody who's coming through town and they'll respond. Uh, so that's sort of how I started out. Um, I mean, Robert, who is my husband, is amazing and he's very, very supportive of me. Uh, but this idea of, of, of doing this work um, as a producer was exciting. We got to see and broadcast from Israel, from France, from Italy, from like you just all sorts of places. And then unfortunately, the late Mr. Burns became ill and I was able to step in um, part time in his shoes. And then eventually I stepped into the role on Dining Around. Um, and worked with iHeart Media for several years afterward, both in the political realm uh, and in the food show realm as well. So it's been fun. Mm -hmm. That's like a long answer to a short question. That is, and it, I mean, you were so important to him. I mean, he's a real San Francisco icon, and I, I just always remembered how really lovingly kind he was to you. And you could tell there were like, I mean, my memory is terrible, but there are like some things that like kind of stick, but like having recorded the show a couple times or having seen you guys at events, he was always, um, he deferred to you. He knew, I think he knew what a resource you were to him and how much you were doing. I, I, not, I mean, I've always saw him as just being really respectful and kind. And I think he really, really loved you. He was a very kind person. Thank you. Yeah. He never, um, never made me feel as though I was in the back seat, um, mm -hmm. which was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, if we traveled, I traveled at the same level he traveled at. Um, we did amazing sales promotions and he had some limitations physically. And so if you're going to take a group of 40 people uh, to Europe and Sandra, you know about this, it's, it's not simply showing up and smiling. Like there's a lot of other stuff that goes on and you have to check in with these people, which is great, which is fine, but you need somebody who can 
who knows who's coming around the corner. Or we've done, we did some major fundraising events for Leukemia Lymphoma Society and a lot of other charities. And having all of that information sort of put together and knowing where it is and being organized enough and, and being able to run on the fly, like um, James Gabbert, who's a, a local luminary who loaned uh, the use of his private jet, which was incredibly awesome of him. No, we have to find out if the runway in Perugia is long enough for a 727 <laughs> to land in. Like, these are the random things I dealt with. And he's a great guy, um, James Gabbert, but his response to my original response, I was like, yes, they said it's fine. And he's like, no, 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 no. Is it actually fine or is it just Italian fine? <laughs> he's like, I don't want to get there and find out I can't land. Like you need to get the actual specifications, uh -huh. which is completely understandable. And it's that, it, it's all of those really little moronically super fun, crazy pieces that make up the, the most delicious pie ever. Yeah, really fun. So, and I've met some of the most amazing people along the way as well. Well, you have a very thick Rolodex. I do, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's been good, it's really good. Um, and I get to do the Relay and Chateau Gourmet Festival every year. And running into somebody like Pierre-Emmanuel Tatonger, uh, who is super fancy and all the rest of it, and a totally joyous guy. And he kind of looks at me and says, I think I remember you from the Masters of Food and Wine. Aren't you the person who jumped under the table when somebody dropped their compact? And I'm like, oh my God. Yes, <laughs> I am the one who literally ducked under the table in like my new suit that had French cuffs that I had to staple because I didn't know what French cuffs were. Like these are the things that happened. But you know, a decade or so later, they're like, this is hilarious. So <laughs> it, it works, right? It works, but you can't take yourself too seriously. Right. All of these people, whether it's the, you know, the fancy winemakers that we all know and love, uh, when they turn around and say, you know, it's, it's just grape juice. Or, we're farmers. We're, you know, right. we're the best of the best food and the best, the most wonderful chefs with the greatest ingredients. They're working with people who grow these ingredients and they're small family farms, whether it's, you know, poultry and meat or, or vegetables and, and learning that you have to respect that is, mm -hmm. um, is something that's enormously important when it comes to working in any aspect of the food world or media world. Mm -hmm. yeah, Joel, did, did you ever work in a restaurant as a kid? Yes. Um, my, I worked at a Wendy's, which is questionable. Um, <laughs> but my very first actual restaurant job was the Latin Quarter in London. I showed up for an interview and it was actually an audition and I had to sing happy birthday. Ooh. Because these, this restaurant, which was a long-standing traditional restaurant, they had anniversaries, they had birthdays, they had bar mitzvahs, like it was this kind of restaurant. And the best of the best people who were their servers were older women of Germanic descent and didn't have, <laughs> it's true, like this is not everybody who is German can't sing, but what I'm saying is these particular people had sort of booming voices and they wanted they wanted somebody to just go and sing happy birthday and not bring the restaurant down uh so that was my first real restaurant job it was great it was they, this is a restaurant that decades before and some of these women worked there actually had bunny costumes like ears and oh. women in like oh yeah absolutely but it was it had grown before I arrived and the gentleman who owned it had a swing orchestra and he was, he was great wow. and very generous. So I worked there, uh, the L'Auberge de Petit Prince um, and a few other restaurants along the way, always the Wolfie's in Stratford. Um, but front of house, uh, bartender, but I've also been thrown in the kitchen because I think that in any small business, you need to have the flexibility of your team. So I have done... Uh, the larder section, I have made desserts, sometimes poorly. I've learned to make <laughs> breads. Oh, no, really. But you have to be able to, to say to your team, you know, we've got all the wait staff we need, but the dishwasher, he's right. sick and he ain't coming in. So tonight, somebody needs to wash dishes. And the answer is we chef. You yeah. go in, yeah. you wash the dishes. And it's not even, it's not gratitude that you're looking for. It's team, being a part of the team. Right. Sure. I'll take the trash out. Why? I have two hands and my ego is not so much that I'm not going to do it. Right. And I think that that really 
pushes us all forward as team members. And now in this situation where so many restaurants are struggling, I know why the chefs and owners want their team members to be successful because they're family members. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've heard you say that your husband is the real chef in the house, that you're the, you, you are the sous chef and, and dishwasher. I think that every kitchen needs an executive chef and we have certain things we cook together, but we have certain things that we do um, that really are propelled forward by Robert's talents and his creativity. Absolutely. He can do a recipe like nobody's business. He does Nigella Lawson's, um, she does this thing in Nigellissima with uh, this, what is it, just macaroni and cheese, but it's friggin' ridiculous. It's out of this world. And he makes it and he's posted it and Nigella's like, oh, that looks delicious. I'm like, thanks Nigella. Like he has that kind of funny, really, like really. I'm like, she didn't respond to me, but he has a great talent. Now I do have a short rib recipe that I make that is um, my coquirello short rib recipe from Trevigne days. Mm. And it takes three days. And it's amazing, but I kind of own that. But most other things, I'm like, you know, you grind the turkey. I'll, it'll, it'll all be great. It'll all be great. Yeah. We love throwing dinner parties, though. Yeah, you do. You're a big entertainer. We once had a dinner party where um, the late Mr. Burns was with us still. We had Cecilia Chang over, which was awesome. And for those of you who don't know Cecilia Chang, she is the... She's, well, now she's 100 years old. It's amazing. Uh, she, amazing. She could drink anybody under the table. She um, owned the Mandarin restaurant and has invested in many, many other restaurants and supported many people over time. She's much loved. But she was there. Um, Margaret Mondavi was there. And we're all sitting around the table. Bill Bloom there. That I think Bill Bloom was there as well. And Ray. That's right. That's right. Because he was like killing himself. So we're all sitting around having this dinner. And there's the phone rings and I'm like, well, whatever. And then there's this knock at the door and it's the police and the firefighters and there's an <laughs> ambulance. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Well, Mr. Burns had a life alert and he had leaned over and, and punched his life alert. But he lived, lived just a few doors down from us. So they called on life alert. They got no response. And so they sent the ambulance because that's what they do. Uh -huh. And so then they found out that we're the secondary contact and they wanted the keys to his house. And it was all very... Now, Mrs. Mandavi had a car service with her and the guy who was driving her was freaking out because was he it, thought maybe... Was it Philip? I don't remember who it was, but he was convinced <laughs> that it was her. And he's... So we've got these like three lovely people who are restaurant... Sort of they're like culinary symbols. Uh -huh a bunch of firefighters, police officers, paramedics, and the three of them are killing themselves laughing. They're like, this is hilarious. Oh, but they had to come in and make sure that, that Mr. Burns was okay, because that's, that's <laughs> okay. so. I would have been happy if, I, if my house got stormed with firefighters and policemen. I would have no problem whatsoever. Come on in, come on in. I know you can't drink, but let me make you some food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh man, I know, like you've just been in the presence of like so many incredible food people and... Well, the vast majority of them are so down to earth. Mm -hmm. They really are. And they're slightly self-deprecating and they're always bringing other people in. And there's, there's just, uh, I don't know, Alan Wong and uh, Roy Yamaguchi and um, like, uh, I'm, I'm dropping these names, which sounds like a total jack, yeah. but... What I mean to say is there are individuals who have built restaurant empires mm. who are constantly bringing others forward into the forefront right. and they want people to be recognized. And I, I personally appreciate it. And I also see it um, mm. like the, and, and some who don't have huge restaurant groups, uh, Suzette Gresham, Tonelli, she's awesome. And she's like on the board of culinary schools and she has Aquarello and she literally has people working in her kitchen that are part of culinary school programs and she makes them work. It is just yeah. like, this is work. Yeah. Like, so at the end of this- Years and years and years, yeah. Yes, and if you hate it, after working with me for eight weeks, well, it's much better than you know that now than in two <laughs> years after you spent, you know, $80,000 in culinary school. Right. Because that's not gonna make you a chef that's gonna teach you how to cook. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I say that all the time. What, um, so how do you feel, I mean, well, one, I wanna ask, are you guys, 
taking food to go at all? Or are you pretty we much? Are, yeah, we are taking food to go. We're trying to do, um, we are cooking as well because we do cook a lot. We're taking food to go and, and looking at all of the other options that are out there as well. Because whether it's, you know, pizza or kin cow or um, something wonderful from, um, uh, from some great kitchen around the corner, whatever. But we, we try to look at those places that we've patronized in the past um, to keep that going. And also with the city itself, um, and I know across across California, they have Takeout Tuesday. And so people mm -hmm. take pictures and post that and that kind of thing. I think there's a certain camaraderie that happens, a certain really positive feeling when you, when you get to get something from somebody else's place. Yeah. Um, we didn't, we made Easter dinner, but um, Michael Mina did, a, did an Easter dinner and uh, the Tusks did one at Cotonia. Like there are, there were a lot of different options, which was great mm -hmm. that people could buy in advance and some of which were, you know, high end Michelin starred and others were just really sustaining and beautiful. Right. Yeah. Do you, how do you think, I mean, you think that, I don't know, there's so many unknowns still. Mm -hmm. um, the statistics that they're saying about restaurants closing, they're saying it could be, you know, three to four out of every 10 restaurants could shut down mm -hmm. based on all of this stuff. Do you feel that desperation right now in San Francisco or not quite yet? Um, very good question. I think that... I think that where we are as a city who has a lot of tourists, mm -hmm. um, a lot of visitors, a lot of conventions, a lot of hotels, uh, I think those restaurants that relied upon that kind of traffic that are in the core, who are wonderful restaurants, like great, fabulous, but we might go once or twice a year, um, but they're really close to the Moscone Center. So they're always getting these like big tech conventions um, mm -hmm. coming through or whatever it is. When those conventions back out, which many of them, not all of them, but many of them have already, um, that affects the outlook for the restaurant industry. When the hotels are closed, it affects all the restaurants around the hotels and then all of those other people that like eat at the sandwich shop at lunch because they work at the hotel. Like it, it really does trickle down. And I see that there are these, the, the loans that were offered that many of them went to bigger corporations, um, larger restaurant groups, for example, in that first round didn't make it to the restaurants. And I think that there, people are wondering why their small businesses weren't qualifying. And I don't, I am not an expert in this field and this is really important to point out in advance. It's just my opinion. Uh, but I think that, well, that's true, right? But if you're a bank and you're administering a loan, because these are loans, you're a bank administering a loan. It doesn't matter, matter where the financing comes from. You have this banker set in your mind. So if you're looking at a business that's been open for 10 years, that rents, that may or may not be able to hire their people back, that's in an area that is tourism heavy, you're less likely to give out the money. And I, I don't know whether this is conscious or subconscious, but I feel that there's an issue that needs to be brought up there. Like, where is this money supposed to go? How is it supposed to be uh, doled out? And what is the expectation of, pre of repayment? Because if a small business accepts a $50,000 loan, which is awesome, uh, to be able to reopen at some point or to keep the lights on or to pay the rent, whatever it is, if they do that um, and then they fold, then they're bankrupt. And then the yeah. loan doesn't get paid back. And right. is it tied to somebody's, you know, it's, it's uh, not kooky. It's, it's really kooky. It's really kooky. And then... When you look at the companies like a Shake Shack or a Darden Restaurant Group, and thankfully Danny Meyer and those people, that team, um, like gave back or declined, absolutely. But but when they submitted, it may not have been those individuals at the top of that organization that submitted. It's a person who works in their finance department who's very well intentioned, who said this is available right. to us, and right. we're going to take advantage of what's available to us because legally it is. And there was a lot of gray area there. And I think that the public perception of those restaurants receiving it is rightfully woeful. It's just... Yeah. It, well, terrible. there's always a have and a have not. And mm -hmm. there's always going to be, you know, they, they could have done... I mean, we've been dealing with this stuff every single day right now. I mean, mm -hmm. we are... 
in the midst of it and you know went through the anxiety are we going to get a loan are we not going to get the loan mm -hmm. um okay we got the loan what are we going to do with the loan you mm -hmm. know you have to spend it within eight weeks but in eight weeks from now we're probably not going to be open yet right and so we have to spend that money but are we just giving we can't put people to work but we've got to spend the money there's mm -hmm. so many wacky things about it mm -hmm. that um you know, it doesn't make sense. I mean, people had lists of businesses. They had, the government has access to people that are in business based on their business licenses. They had, uh, there, there was enough in, infrastructure to figure out how to get loans to small businesses or financing. Because in the end, if you get forgiven, and basically I think that whole thing is about really not taking advantage of what is happening you know not taking advantage and going okay i'm going to pay myself extra money or you know do any of those things and um you know so i think that's why that you know the for forgiving whole concept was in there but it's definitely it is a shame and i think also i was thinking east coast west coast mm -hmm. so when they said okay today at 9 a.m you know you can start getting your money you can get in line well california is three hours later you know you got all those people in new york that went boom bang bang mm -hmm. and you know the banks are going to make money on this and so it's to their interest to make these loans um yeah, so crazy. And then even now, so the first money's out, people are getting funded, they've got eight weeks to do what they're supposed to do with it. Which is which is what, Sandra? For someone like you, how are you guys gonna spend that money? Or how um, do you spend it? Well, not completely specifically because we're still working it out. So 75% of it has to be spent on payroll and 25% can be to, to get this forgiven. And then 20 right. Because really what we want the money for is our rent, the utilities, um, the interest on anything we have, um, those big things that we want that stuff forgiven because really we're not going to be open to pay rent. We're not going to be getting that money. So in reality, we're looking at all those things that uh, how much that stuff is projected over eight weeks and going backwards and saying, okay, for us to get this stuff forgiven, we need to spend this equivalent on payroll. So now when you take, you know, John and I haven't been paid since the beginning of March, which whatever, you know, we can't pay ourselves back with this because there's caps and it's based on your head count. It's not like you can write five checks and have your, you know, your thing. Um, there are a couple different days periods that you go, okay, February 15th, this is how many staff I had in my company, and this is what we're going to use, or some people could use a different model for their, you know, it's so loosey-goosey on so many things, and then, um, so that's kind of how we're going, and right now we have five or six people working, we're doing about 2,500 meals a week for the nonprofits, and so we have five or six people that are working just on that. We just got our to-go business. We got five or six people there. Um, next week, hopefully, we're going to roll out um, delivery service. And so use some of those people that are going to now deliver orders because I want it in-house. I don't want to use DoorDash or, you know, the third party because I want people to know it's actually a big person that's coming. Um, but they're, you know, but can we put 70, 80 people to work? No, some of those people are just going to get to put the money in the bank. And the problem, too, is that unemployment, with the additional $600 from unemployment, some people are, may, are doing better not going back to work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's yeah. the position I'm in, actually, because I, I don't know that they're going to want to bring back a SOM immediately i mean right now they said june 1st we're going to start taking right. hotel reservations but as far as you know what the occupancy is going to be i'm probably lower down on the list of someone that would be working full-time so for me making 
what I'm making from unemployment is is more money than I would be making if I was working because I, I'm I'm getting paid based on percentage of wine sales, right. so that's not going to be very high for you know I'm anticipating no, a couple no months. Right, but yeah. you know I, Edward was actually on the call today, so it's kind of fun. I'm kind of talking to your boss, <laughs> but. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> June 1st is probably too early for them to start because if it lifts June 1st, um, hotels are probably going to be the last to be allowed to be open. If there's another surge, um, you know, they can be essential businesses, but I don't know where that's going to go. It's really odd. Yeah, it's completely odd. And I know that there is a lot of uncertainty here in the city. And it's um, anecdotally from friends that work in the hotel and restaurant business. Uh, and then there are worries about the perception if if certain people are staying in their hotel in the city, what happens after they leave. It's, it's this back and forth. And mm-hmm. some of the hotels have worked very hard to set up their branding as such. And they want to maintain that high-end branding. They want to Right, that luxury, and will people be traveling at the luxury level after this? Right, or how long yeah. will it take until it? Yeah. Nobody knows. Exactly. And safe. Mm-hmm. And Governor, Governor Newsom's been amazing. I am finding him like really articulate and saying some really smart things. And I think he's he's held back on hotels having to be opened up and potentially tarnish to people go, oh my God, that's where they had all the people with the virus. You know, I'm never going to stay there. And so I think he's definitely being thoughtful on some things for some people. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about before, his stuff works for some, but not for all. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a time of great indecision yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely. But it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It really is. It I, is. Um, I've seen a lot of people have virtual dinner parties and virtual cocktail parties. And uh-huh. even though sometimes it gets a little like, okay, uh, it's Tuesday. I'm not having a virtual cocktail party with you on Tuesday. Like, I know we all want to, but let's be realistic here. Because um, <laughs> I got to up tomorrow morning. Um, but that's, I think people are really checking in with one another, which is, yeah, which is that's, good. Yeah, that's pretty nice. I've, seen, some I've positive. seen people way more than I normally see them, <laughs> which is just... Some people, right. Some people, exactly. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing my family a lot more. I mean, all the family that lives back east and in the south, and you know, now it's once a week Zoom reunions um, with both sides of the family. So, however, you, you do get to learn how technically able some people are and some people aren't. <laughs> oh, some of you know, some of the funniest videos are on YouTube right now of the Zoom fails. Uh-huh. Where you know, you've got my favorite one was actually a a Zoom yoga class where. You know, you've got the boxes like we see here, and you've got all these people doing yoga, and and it's mostly younger women doing yoga. So there's about twenty or thirty of them, and then the, then there's one box where it's just this like sixty year old guy sitting there eating cereal, watching. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Do you, do you remember that on Showtime back in the day? They used to have like the aerobicize, um, and it was like these women in leotards, that, and it was like kind of like. You know, it was with Richard. Um, no, not Richard Simmons, but it was it was sort of like that. But it was it was meant to be kind of sexy. And I remember just as a kid growing up, it was like the closest thing you had to porn besides, you know, a National Geographic's magazine was like these women on Showtime doing these doing these dances. <laughs> there is a woman who had a health and fitness show on KGO Radio for many years. Uh, her name is Joni Greggins. And yeah. she had a fitness television program for a number of years in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's an amazing person. She may be part of the person you're thinking of. She lived in Sausalito. She's still, I think she lives in Novato now, but oh God, do I say that out loud? I don't know where she lives. <laughs> I don't know where she lives. She's fabulous, whatever. Address. <laughs> la la la. But the rumor, the rumor was Diane Summers based her character of Chrissy off of some of the interviews that Joni Greggins gave. Wow. And that rumor, absolute rumor, but uh, (laughs) Joni is a a total star and just such an amazing human. Um, Really, really cute. But yeah, no. I did meet Richard Simmons once though. Yeah. You you met him? Yeah, he was interviewed by Mr. Burns. Um, He was wearing a tank top and shorts 
and <laughs> made sure that I knew that the tank top did not have spark glitter or whatever, rhinestones, that they were actually diamonds. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and I found out where he was staying and all sorts of other information that I didn't want. Oh. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet you've been hit on a million times. More than once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, where, so how long is the park project going to... Um, you know, do you see yourself working on that? Um, I don't know. In this oh, in this so time, I don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, but it's exciting, and uh, the team has put together a really amazing program, and are still working on more entertainment. Um, their other footage will be released, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, GoldenGatePark150.com, and it's um, it's it's cool because the park is 150 years old, and the whole park system is so incredibly important to San Franciscans. And I know it is in every other city in the nation. Um, their park systems are important to them as well. And it becomes even more so when you think of all of the things that you could potentially miss in a time like this. It's like all of the picnics and the get togethers and the corporate gatherings and the company gatherings and the weddings and the, like all of this, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's, those are the things that you really miss is the engagement is the outdoor and Californians are such outdoor enthusiasts that even if they're not like going for a long run or a hike, they want to be in nature and, and see the trees and see the coyotes which are now out in abundance. All running wild. Oh, yeah. Coyotes, and they're also turkeys. And I don't understand why how the turkeys have not yet been consumed. <laughs> because, not that I want them to, but it's like, uh, how many turkeys are there in the park? Um, lots, as it, wow. as it comes to it. But yeah, the, all of this, it, it's, it's different. But the skies are clearing and... I mean, there's some pretty cool, you know, outcomes from this whole thing that, you know, silver linings that you don't expect, but. I hope we all learn from it, or at least the decision makers learn from it. Yeah. It's that, uh, I, I've heard, you can, you can see the Himalayas for the first time from New Delhi or whatever the, the yeah. comments were. I'm like, well, let's remember this as we yeah. ramp back up our production of what have you. Right. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to see the Lagoon of Venice clear from debris and crud like how oh, i mean that way? i was in venice last year mm -hmm. and i was there and it was so filthy and so crowded and mm -hmm. so i said i never need to come back here again there's so many millions of places to visit mm -hmm. i can't even imagine you couldn't take a picture without a person in it you know you couldn't do like you know and not to say that you always have to have a picture with no strangers in it, but it was just like there were people everywhere. And some of the pictures I've seen online right now, oh my God, are just so beautiful. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and now you know why the Venetians were in love with their city so much. Exactly, exactly. They're like, go away, don't come back. <laughs> So do you have any long-term, you know, like a project that you've got that um, once your park project is done, you have any big things you're thinking about? Um, I'm definitely thinking of the future. I'm thinking of the future of travel and the, the future of visiting other places. I've spent quite a bit of time doing that because I've read some thoughtful pieces about um, the way our tourism has gone and how, as we were just talking about, how it's changed. So for example, um, going to the Galapagos Islands, which is a double-edged sword because I really wanna go, everybody really wants to go. It's a total bucket list trip, but the amount of tourism has increased there exponentially, as has the amount of plastic refuge and, and all of the other negative things that happen too. So how do we as humans get to explore where we want to explore and yet not adversely affect these places? Mm -hmm. um, and are we going to have to settle for some of these things being completely online? Right. Um, because yeah. if, you, if you change it in some ways where, all right, we want fewer people, which in, in a lot of cases is a good thing, then the only people who get to go are the people at the top strata who fly in on a private yeah. jet, or they do yep. like the, what do you call it, Four Seasons Jet. Like there are all of these beautiful concepts of tourism out there, but okay. they're not available to everyone. Right, mm -hmm. totally. And then when somebody says, I, I have a friend whose parents went to Las Vegas and they were like, oh wow, Paris, Paris was just like being in Paris. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. But, <laughs> but 
<laughs> but like dial it back, Joel, because that's the snobby, bitchy answer. The, right. the real answer should be, I'm really glad you had a wonderful time, that the food was glorious, that you had, had yeah. a, you know, the experience with your family, like, let's make sure that we don't travel shame people. Right. Um, so I love the idea of agriturismo. I love the idea of being able to go for two weeks and spend part of it working in a co-op or a farm. Um, I may not have thought that way 10 years ago because right. I was all about, you know, I want to go to the Hotel Plaza at today and I want to say, right. <laughs> I want to eat at Harry's. I want yeah, to exactly. Like I want, I want, I want. But as our times change, we have different impressions and the authentic experience may simply be, oh my gosh, I learned to make cheese in Italy. Right. Like how cool is that? Or stay at some crazy, in some crazy town in Switzerland where the residents, the whole town is a hotel. I think it's, in Ticino, where you literally have this group of people who've decided, all right, we've had so many people leave town, we've just created these hotel rooms in these houses and, and, and have this communal hotel experience. And I can't even describe it because I've never done it, but it just sounds exciting. Yeah. And even if you get there and you're like, oh my God, this is crap, um, which it wouldn't be. It'd still be amazing. Oh, it's exactly. Because the best travel stories are those weird and wonderful moments when you get stuck on a cruise ship with 5,000 people and you weren't expecting it because you didn't pay attention to the brochure and it was bizarre <laughs> and nuts and this happened to me and then the actual <laughs> oh god it was but you have fun because you know, or, or we went on this one trip and Robert and I were the youngest people by probably 50 years oh my god. I am not I'm not a child <laughs> And probably adopted so many times on that trip. Well, we we missed breakfast on like the second morning and we became the conversation of the whole ship. We're like, <laughs> where are the boys? Where, the boy they didn't come back last night. We leave them behind. I'm like, we were out past 9 p.m. Like it's it's not that big of a deal. But everybody was very kind. And when you you we all have to shift our minds when we are in those situations and say, we're all here to have a nice time. We're all here to get away. And um, it, it gets you nowhere to be a, an annoying prig about things. Yeah. You just you just embrace it. I'm like, all right, this is cool. You can all be my grandparents for this week. Can you see yourself going on a cruise again? Absolutely. This? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm so scared about that. No, 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 no. Well, before we... Um, before Robert and I, sorry, before all of this happened, Robert and I were looking to go on a, the Silver Muse, I think it's called. Which the is new silver, one. Yeah, then see, now you're excited. All I have to no, say- No, I know, but I mean, I love Silver Seas. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that some of the cruise lines have massive numbers of people on their ships. Some of them really cater to short itineraries, long itineraries, and depending on where you go. and. I truly think um, from my experience, going on a line that has a smaller number of people is important. Mm -hmm. There's there's less congestion, there's a, a larger crew or smaller crew to person ratio. So you have more people taking care of the people on the ship, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then there's, it's easier to get on and off the ship, all those other things. Right. And I really like it. And then their own corporate governance. So when all of this happened, they shut down all their ships and sent everybody home immediately and they're like that's it like we're not you know okay i think everybody got their money back and there's future booking whatever and again i'm just saying this anecdotally i'm not a member of the cruise line but i am <laughs> i am i gotta be careful here right they're like who are you who are you you're not a spokesperson no i um i i believe that there are a lot of positive things that happened and there were some really uh people who did not have good foresight for their own patrons um so yeah looking ahead i mean i'm not going tomorrow because they're not open but i'm sure that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure everything is as clean as possible and in, as inspected as possible and for sure mm -hmm. yeah i'm all down does that does that make me sound vapid but i just think oh, it's awesome. no, no good. Been, i'm not a um i've just been really um I'm at a loss because I've done so many cruises over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think I can go on a ship again right now. But I, I, mean, think, that, I think that that is, it's okay to feel that way right now. Mm -hmm. 
I yeah. think being trepidatious is part of human nature when it comes to a, right. the unknown and we don't know what's happening next and we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. That's okay. It's totally you are so glass full. <laughs> you, are. <laughs> you are so glasses full. Uh, I think we just have to look to the best, you know, yeah. open a bottle of, I don't know, Iron Horse and mm -hmm. have a sip. Yeah, Brian, what are you drinking tonight? Um, because it's, oh, sorry, Brian. Well, both. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm drinking whatever racy whites I can get my hands on. Actually, um, pulled, you don't know this, Joel, but I, I actually made wine last year, so I, it's still in barrel. So I went to the winery the other day and pulled some samples. So I'm, I'm drinking a little bit of that. And, um, and then Donald Patz is sending me some Maritana, uh, the white blend that um, him and Francois Viard um, worked oh, on. He, nice. he did a flash sale yesterday and it was, it included, you know, half red and half white. And I just asked him if I could do all whites. And so he just asked for my address, never asked for any credit card information. So I'm hoping Oh, I'm hoping know. it just arrives at the house. <laughs> um, what are you drinking, Joel? Um, I'm probably, because I mentioned Iron Horse, I'm probably going to get a bottle of Iron Horse from mm -hmm. the cellar and make sure it's nice and chilled. And then we're having steaks for dinner tonight because it's Robert's nice. birthday. So we're Aww, going to some, thank you. We're going to drink some deep, delicious Zinfandel or mm. something that will, you know, be on our palates and we can sip slowly and it'll go well with oh, the yeah i think i've got a bottle or two from joel peterson somewhere around nice nice, um, nice. yeah now, joel joel what is your what is your philosophy on not having a cocktail before that meat comes out of the oven what oh my gosh you... <laughs> all right so there actually is a term in the um urban dictionary that was coined at my home uh called gavery how do you spell that? G-A-V-E-R-Y. Gavery. Okay. And it okay. is the fact that you cannot, it's, it's, it's that exact thing. No cocktails until the big piece of meat is taken care of. Because if you're having a shell roast, which is a full New York strip, and you're cooking for 12 or 13 people, and it's not an inexpensive cut of meat, and it's a celebration, you cook it, it comes out of the oven to rest, and the moment it's out of the oven, all hell breaks loose, whatever you want, right. absolutely. Okay. But if you're cooking, you know, a ham or a turkey, like a korobudo ham or some delicious uh, Mary's uh, free range turkey or heritage turkey, you wanna make sure you have your wits about you until that comes right. out of the oven. Okay. And then it's fine, then it's totally fine. What about yeah. you? Well, yeah, I know, I know sometimes cooking, you can start a little bit too early and then you sort of lose focus and, and, and things, um, little details um, sort of fall by the wayside. So I just was, I had never heard a term for that before. <laughs> well, we once had a dinner party uh, where we served um, from Andreas, is it Andreas Feistad from Kitchen of Light. He has this salmon recipe, sorry, halibut recipe with these delicious rutabagas that have the scent of vanilla. And there's, it's really, it's detailed and it's gorgeous and it's amazing. And we had, 12 or 14 people over for dinner and started having some champagne and we didn't eat until 10 p.m. And everybody was absolutely annihilated. Very Spanish. And yeah, we had to very French for us. <laughs> we had to do that and we had to do it again. I was like, I have no idea what it tasted like. Like I just, I'm sure it was good, I ate it, but no. <laughs> I don't know, I think we remember the people we're with sometimes way more than the food and the drink. Well, that night we had people who we didn't know very well. We had oh. this great friend, Maria Kuhn, who had flown in from, well, she's German, but she's living in London, working at the Four Seasons London. Um, so we invited some of her friends that, to have dinner with us so we could all meet together because she wanted to see a lot of people at the same time. And if we went to a restaurant, then she would be at one end of the table and everybody else would be at the other. So no one would be able to socialize. So we're like, just come over to our house and we'll have some wine and we'll have, it'll be beautiful, it'll be gorgeous. And so we invited all of these different people and, um, and we all became friends by the end of the meal. Of course. Totally. Absolutely. But we only had Maria really in common. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this is how you, I don't know, this is how you maintain your friends and relationships. You do little funny things like that. And it doesn't have to be Andreas Bajestad's recipe of halibut. It can be, you know, 
the Safeway turkey. It doesn't really matter. And it can be something that's really approachable and you bring people around your table and you enjoy and you make everybody feel good. And then, you know, six years later, you happen to be, I don't know, in London and you have lunch together or it just, it doesn't really matter, as, as you said, Sandra, it's the people you're with. It doesn't really matter that much. Being thoughtful is important, but let's face it, you just want to enjoy something together. Yeah. yeah. No, so true. What are you drinking, Sandra? Uh, right now I'm drinking my Bi Gimby Pink Grapefruit 5-Calorie Cocktail with no liquor. I don't know. I, I actually, I'm going to pull something out for Saturday. We have, I actually, you podcasted with Anne Charlotte yesterday. I had a Zoom meeting with her today in preparation for Saturday. Um, Hospice Daron. Joel, did you ever go to Paso for Hospice Daron? I did. Yeah. Yeah, Celebration. Crazy, crazy. Mm -hmm. And I love Paso. So this year it got canceled. We were supposed to, I mean, we would have been driving there now. Or no, we would have been. We would have been, yeah, we would have been almost there, unloading, getting ready to cook, and um, we were cooking all weekend this weekend. So on Saturday, um, Saturday, we are, they're doing a virtual hospice to Rome. It starts at noon, and they're doing the seminars, they're doing the people that would have been there, oh, cool. conversations, we're, we have a 15-minute um slot and so we're working on our slot which is going to be very funny yeah what um, are you are you doing a cooking demonstration no no you're no, just, you is it you and john it's john and charlotte and i it's the three of us are you okay. watching it yeah I, you know i posted on instagram i was told to post and then hashtag um hospice to Rome. so i'm sort of waiting for my invite i'm you'll not sure you'll get a link yeah if not I'll, okay. t- I'll send it to you okay but yeah so that's um yeah how much fun is that i think that's great that sounds really cool yeah, it'll be nice because it got postponed till next year so yeah I know I I just canceled my reservation for Friday at the hatch um, yesterday oh, I thought so I thought I better call and make sure you know they took my credit card and they're not open they're they're doing curbside from four to eight yeah. but I thought just in case I didn't want to get a charge and they say oh yeah you never showed up for your reservation mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's a different yeah. time for sure when we yeah. we were supposed to be in Spain um, I don't know, for, for a week just after April the 4th. And so Robert called United Airlines and they were absolutely gracious, totally. And um, I mean, if you had to change your flight in another way, they may not have right. been though, but and, and Robert is a member of their super elite status, whatever. So uh, he called the line and they were very, very kind and we absolutely understand totally, blah, blah, blah. You may not see the change for a week and a half on your statements, but you know, it is officially, I will email you now. So you have a record of our conversation. It was very cool. Yeah. And as people who fly on United quite often, and again, I don't represent the company, but, (laughs) but uh, we fly on them quite often that, um, you've pitched a lot of people this hour. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound that way, doesn't it? No, I love it. (laughs) We'll have the commercials coming up at the end. (gasps) Relay and Chateau. But we are affected by so many people and so many businesses. So I don't know. It's good to embrace them too. Mm -hmm. Well, it was so nice having you and so nice catching Mm -hmm. up and chatting. And thank you so much. It's been really nice to be a part of the show and to be able to, to speak to not only the Sonoma Valley area people, but the, the whole rest of your audience as well. One of my favorite favorite, favorite moments was the Sonoma Valley Harvest Wine Auction, which I know is has changed, changed about a decade ago. Um, but I was on stage with Robert. It, the year was uh, all about, I don't know, uh, Hawaii. And we were wearing uh, hula skirts and, and uh, bosoms made from coconut shells. And Were you uh, there was, in the yes. dance with the women? We, we no 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 that was the year on your own? that was the Chicago dance I will never forget the Chicago dance that was 
absolutely legendary and quite scandalous. But we were up there, I think Joel Peterson, we were, anyway, I don't remember exactly who we were with, but we were like the, we were like the candy be around the people. <laughs> so instead of having, you know, bad, bad Benzinger boys with a couple of, they had us. But our photo made it into the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. And a friend who knew my mother took a cut, cutting and sent it to my mother and my mother called and she's like, were you, why are you in the newspaper wearing almost nothing on stage? <laughs> and I'm like, mom, it was charity, it was charity. And she's like, I hope so. <laughs> Don't you know these things come back to haunt you? I'm like, eh, have you met me? It's much, much worse than that. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. Oh, so yeah. Valley has so a-, has a My cheeks hurt time. from laughing so much. Which <laughs> is good this sometime. time. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you want to hear some of our past episodes, you can go to thebikegoeson.com. You can also go to Radio Misfits uh, backslash The Bike Goes On. Check us out on all of the, I don't know what we're on. Every, 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 (laughs) we're on iHeart. iHeart. Yeah. Yeah, Basically every platform. Uh, Hit us up at Bike Talk uh, on Instagram. Sandra, I noticed you've got, um, the, the girls working on your Instagram account because I see it, it's um Cecily and her sister. Is that her sister that I see yeah. on there? Okay. Yeah, they're, doing, they're doing a cute job. They're doing a great job and I love the, you know, it's all the different things that they're doing. It's not just centered around um, one thing. So it's nice. I think right. they're doing great. So tell them tell yeah. them they're doing a good job. I will. All right. And Joel, thank you so much. Very nice having you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Twitter at Joel Riddell and Instagram dining around, um, diningaround.com. And um, just be nice to everybody and support your local restaurants, your local winery, those people who have supported you for all of your wonderful memories over the year. Just remember that when you drive by that place and you say, hey, they have takeout. Just remember you celebrated your anniversary there last year. So help them celebrate their next anniversary by buying takeout. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and buy buy more wine. They're, they're, they're still they're still making it, so someone's got to drink it. Yeah, someone's got to drink. It. Yep. <laughs> All right, this has been fun. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.